Control your soul's desire for freedom. Hello and welcome to the China Podcast. It's been a rough week or two, maybe even longer if you're a Shanghai resident. Uh, Shanghai, as I'm sure you're all fully aware, is under complete lockdown at the moment. All 25 to 26 million of its citizens, um, you know, that's a population a little bit bigger than Australia or the equivalent size of Venezuela. Yeah, it's, it's a staggering amount of people when you put it like that. Yeah, it sure is. And Shanghai is arguably the most internationally recognized city in China. It's a massive trading and financial hub. Uh, from an economic point of view, it can't really afford to be closed for too much longer. Um, now, the human element in all this is that the zero COVID policy has been enforced absolutely on the city in order to curb infection and save lives. Yeah, and it is a that's a positive thing, but there are like the cracks are emerging. Yes, they are. Um like local authorities have admitted mistakes in their lockdown strategy. Um and there's growing public discontent and yeah. anger in Shanghai. Absolutely. Um you know, people are they're fed up with being confined to their apartments or isolation facilities. Um as well as being COVID tested almost every day. Uh, it's a surreal situation, especially yeah. coming two years on from the original outbreak um, and the scenes that we witnessed in, in Wuhan, amongst other places. Yeah. Um, the people in Shanghai, they're now reliving this exact scenario, uh, you know, at the same time as the rest of the world, or most of the yeah, rest of the world has, the has the moved world. on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and Shanghai, is, it's a ghost town right now. Um, and nobody knows when it's all going to end. And and that's the scary part. We're not pointing fingers here, by the way. We're assessing the situation as we see it. And some of the images and the, the videos circulating online, they're, they're quite harrowing. They're quite disturbing in places. And we're also seeing some comic elements and memes and whatnot. But the overall consensus is that people are not happy. Not everyone is getting their adequate supply of food. Some people are even running out of food and some of these people have other mouths to feed. They have young families and a bag of free vegetables, even if it is a good gesture, a mighty gesture. It's not going to last a household of, let's say, four people for that long. I have a I have a friend in Shanghai and in the first week that he was locked down, he was given a bag of vegetables which is was great for him yeah wonderful yeah. great for him he has yeah. a he had a house stocked up with ginger and garlic so he uh -huh. was able to survive for the first week on a couple of vegan soups um but the second week came along and they gave him a bag of meat he's a vegetarian mm, no good to him no good to him no good to him at all yeah yeah um yeah he he, he could barter yeah he could barter yeah because mm, that you know that's what a lot of people are doing um yeah, yeah, like it's it's great to see this um, this community spirit displayed. You yeah. see it in action. Um, like it's a wonderful Chinese way of doing things, and we see it here often. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Like bags of vegetables and meat, uh, they're being organised by community leaders. Um, and as I said, yeah, you have some people. They're even bartering. Uh, with one another, uh, you know, like swapping half a dozen eggs for a few cucumbers, right? Yeah. Um, but the grim reality 
is that not everybody is getting their share of food. Uh, and I guess that's just down to some communities being managed better than others, as as well as the city not having the required number of delivery foot soldiers to see to the well-being of uh, the, the 25, 25 million, million, 26 million yeah. hungry bellies. Um, and yeah, others, they're, they're experiencing issues buying food on delivery apps, something you, you think might be straightforward. Yeah. Um, but being not being able to, not to, to able buy to. anything that's just troubling yeah that's just troubling and they have to get up at six o'clock in the morning yeah and everyone else is, is up at the same time yeah and the system just crashes just crashes it or just shuts down every day yeah the, sh- the shops run out of stock yeah and they might have might have a basket of 20 or 30 goods yeah. and that dwindles down to three by the time they hit yeah, checkout yeah. um so it's a desperate situation for many it is, yeah. And so, what 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 does the lockdown look like in Shanghai? It's it's very similar to to other cities in China. Um, so Chinese apartments and building complexes they're generally walled off or gated communities. And what the what the government does is just locks the front doors and the gates and the and the the driveways. Um, and they just shut it off. Yeah, like no, nobody, nobody's allowed in or out, right? Yeah, nobody, nobody that's not part of the community. Um, now this is this is where the lockdown is a little different, at least for the people I know there and what they've told me. Yeah, because when we experienced the lockdown here in Chongqing, which is on the border of um. I, I was up in Wanzhou on the border of, of Wuhan mm. and um, we were locked in our communities and we were given a ticket that we could go out once every, one person from each family could go out once every three days to go to the supermarket. They're not they're not allowed out. No, they've, they've got to rely on somebody else. Exactly. Um, so, it, so it's, you know, it's completely out, out of their hands and when things aren't going for them, yeah, they're going to get worried naturally. They're, they're naturally going to get worried yeah. Um. Now the deliveries have they've been given deliveries and there's been some better in it's been better in some places than others. Um. Now, but the reason for the lockdown in, at the minute is the is the number of cases. Um. People listening in the West, they probably won't think anything of this considering the size of the country, but. There were 20,000 cases in Shanghai yesterday, according to some of the figures. And that's way more than even the peak of the COVID break, outbreak yeah, yeah. two years ago. Definitely. Um, well, I mean, like China has had, it's had a bit of an easy ride for the most part. Yeah. Except at the very beginning for two, three months. Yeah. Um, and like that, that's due to the no COVID policy. Yeah. Simply, simply put, and you know, we we were back to normality, or we were approaching normality by by April, March, April, twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we were getting there, um, but the Omicron the Omicron is here now, and it is very contagious. Yeah, uh, like there were a number of cities locked down towards the end of March. Um, Jilin and Shanghai being the epicenters for this outbreak. Um, so of course they, they locked that city down too. Yeah, right. And they, and they tried to be a bit clever with the Shanghai lockdown. Uh-huh. 
Um, they attempted to lock down the city in two parts. First, the the east and then the west. I might have that backwards, but they they blocked down one side and then they locked down the other side. Yeah. But as we sit here right now, the entire the entirety mm. of Shanghai is still locked down. Yeah, and it's important to note that originally they were going to lock down that first half of the city for four days yeah four and a half days something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. and then the other half and open it up sorry open it up oh, and yeah, then yeah. lock down, then the, lock other down the other half for four and a half days yeah 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 but that has expired now right that's expired uh, and the first half at least is is still under lockdown everyone's, after every, after four or yeah, five yeah, days everyone's locked down so the plan to stagger the <clears throat> lockdown was announced on the 27th of march um but that plan was abandoned yeah four days later mm-hmm. as about not even they didn't just say they didn't just switch as they were going to yeah they just abandoned the plan on the 31st of march and well, well, well with numbers like that it was always going to happen. it was always going to happen and i'm pretty sure that there's more than a few people who woke up on april the first to what they thought was an elaborate joke yeah being april fool's day and all that yeah um and that would have been some april fool's joke all right wouldn't it um but yeah like i mean this the siren like a blaring out at noon april fool's day (laughs) (laughs) you you can go out now yeah yeah, you're free to roam (laughs) yeah uh but a bit of a cruel joke a a cruel joke very much so it'd be funny though it would be funny (laughs) um but yeah, they have like 30,000 medics in Shanghai doing testing, um, which is a lot of medics to yep. do the testing. Definitely, yeah, that is a lot a lot of medics and um, th- a lot of volunteers t- too, right? Yeah, it is. Um, a lot of, there are a lot of volunteers and they're, there. They're, they've also brought in uh, more responders from outside of Shanghai. They have, and they have a whole... People they, actually experiencing in, in having worked... Um, in Wuhan at the time, yeah, and they they have a whole having been like on the, they have a whole a whole testing team that kind of goes around the country, um, but yeah, so there's the, did you hear the one two days ago? I think it was it was Tuesday, um, yeah, it was Tuesday. There was two guys uh, from Shanghai who avoided the lockdown. All right, and they said to themselves, "And oh, well." Fact this are gonna lock us up, we'll mm. get out of the city. Okay. And they went to, to Hangzhou, which is another massive city, and they went into a department store. Uh or yeah, they went into a department store and their health code pinged. Yeah. That they were as as they would. As they uh, would. Yeah. Yeah. And the entire shopping centre they just locked all the doors and waited for the testers to come. But there was two thousand people locked inside of a a, a, a supermarket. And that's happened before, right? Yeah, that's that's happened a couple of times, yeah. That happened uh, in Guangzhou. Yeah. Back when that was locked down not too long not ago. Not too long ago, yeah. I remember not seeing pictures of it. Um, Everyone just crowded in like the, yeah. and, and, the ground floor. Of the and the, and the thing about the, the Omicron, it's so, so contagious that, you know, and we have every variant of Omicron here. We have all three variants um, have been recorded in shanghai and so what is the severity of this outbreak um what will it mean for china and and zero covid policy um because what we're seeing like is possibly um the beginnings of a a turning point yeah it looks like it you know um but that remains to be seen and that is just 
pure speculation at the moment. Yeah. Um, now, the government uh, had said they are looking to reassess the zero COVID policy and that it will not be the strategy forever. Um, but they are waiting for the severity of the virus to dissipate somewhat. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people in this country. Um, and, you know, it, it would have been a massive strain on the health workers if they just abandoned uh, the zero COVID policy outright. Um, so for now, they're they're just going to continue the policy, see how it goes. Um, and there are 77,000 beds in Shanghai alone for COVID patients. Uh, and that's simply not enough if COVID gets out into the public domain. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's the vaccination rate? Um, it's quite it's quite high COVID in China. It's quite high. It's eighty eight percent of people are fully vaccinated. Um, the the government has said that the outlook for Shanghai though is in and this is their words pretty grim. But with a bit of luck, you know they'll keep everyone fed and calm. Yeah, things can only get better. Yeah. They can only get better. But it's going to take a bit of time. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, what we wanted to talk about well, this good. week uh, was something, in the words of Monty Python, uh, completely different. And now for something completely different. Yeah. Um, speaking of Monty Python, they liked to talk about kind of old stuff, old uh, classical ancient stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Incontinentia buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they had a few, uh, few, few. They did few a few sketches on the Romans. They did. They did. They did. Um, which is where we're going to lead. Yeah. Now uh, we're going to talk about the Romans in China. Yeah. It's uh, an interesting, interesting old story. Yeah. You know, did the Romans ever come to China? Um, there is a theory yeah. that exists or ha- has existed for. Uh, Quite a 70 while. years, yeah. I think, 70 years. Um, and we're going to get into it uh, right now. Um, so we're going back, we're going back 2,000 years, yeah. right? More than 2,000 years. We're going back to what biblical uh, yeah. writings would call before Christ BC, yeah. right? So um, at the time, we had the Roman Empire yep. and we had the Han Empire in yep. China. Okay, so keep that in mind. Um, but how much did the Roman and Han, and Han empires know about each other? Um, in truth, their knowledge was fairly sparse. So let's keep this in mind. Um, China was called Serica in Rome, right? And the Chinese known as the Syrians. Um, the word derived from the Latin for silk, Syricum. Uh, but uh, Serica, or Syrica, um, didn't strictly refer to China in as much as it did to everything east of India. Um, the Romans couldn't do much more than generalize. So a lot like today, uh, there were sure to have been plenty of misconceptions about China and much of East Asia as well, for that matter. Yeah, and to a large extent, nothing is nothing has changed, has it? Despite the technology that we now have, there is still a good deal of ignorance. Yeah, given the the social media lens that we now have, you know, that that wealth of yeah. instant information right there in your face, 24-7. Uh, like, we still have much to learn about each other. Yeah. Um, and, and really, 
all the Romans knew about China had to do with silk, their knowledge of silk. Um, uh, and there's little to indicate that they they knew anything about Chinese culture or, or people. Yeah, and the the, Chor- the the Romans imported silk. Um, they imported silk from China, but there was very little happening on the other end. The Romans de- dealt heavily in the export of bulky goods like wine and wheat and iron ore and unlike silk these foods and materials they're not going to last the distance yeah although evidence of some roman goods has been found in china right yeah 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 there's there's been several finds especially in tombs most notably in xi'an where some roman coins were discovered um roman coins also sprung up uh, in japan the thinking there is that they found their way to Japan via China. Now, Han records show that a Roman delegation arrived in China in the imperial city of Luoyang in 166 AD, having been sent by the Emperor Andon, which is believed to have been the Emperor Antonius Pius, or perhaps his adopted son. Uh, his adopted son being... Uh, I'm much more famous actually Um, the Emperor Marcus Aurelius Uh, yet there are no Roman records to confirm the same and they liked writing things down similarly in exchange there isn't anything to suggest that a delegation from China ever set foot in Rome a Han envoy did actually leave China in the year 97 with the intentions of exploring the West. It was a lone mission. It was undertaken by a guy called Gan Ying. However, when he reached Parthia, or what we know as Persia, which is in Iran, he was convinced not to travel any further due to the danger and the two years that it would take to reach Rome. Yeah, I think the, the Parthians probably sensed the trading opportunity of their own, you know, if they kept Mr. Uh, Mr. Ying around. Sure, don't you know it? Any knowledge the Chinese had of Rome at the time probably came from second-hand information gathered by Gan Ying on his journey. So I think it's fair to say that both empires were well aware of each other, but um, what they knew simply had a lot to do with word of mouth. Yeah, that was it. And the, and the Romans wanted Chinese silk. You know, it was great summer clothes, you know. Of course. Yeah, of course, for those hot Roman summers. Exactly, yeah. Um, and even then, yeah, China like was, was a manufacturing powerhouse, you know. Yeah. Everyone wanted their goods. Yeah, hence the Silk Road, which uh, starts in Xi'an, by the way. Um, you, and you lived in, you lived in that part of the world, on the Silk Road for a while. Do you ever hear a place called uh, Li Chen? Um, yes, I know. I did live there. Yeah, um, in five years in Gansu. Yeah. Um, uh, Li Chen. I didn't hear about it at the time. Yeah. But, uh, I have become aware of it since. Yeah. Um, and Li Chen is significant for its proposed ties to the Romans, which is what we want to talk about right now. Um, now, bear in mind that Li Chen is the former name of a small rural outpost in Gansu, um, which is now called Jalai Jai. Um, and it's relatively famous thanks to a theory of uh, theory formulated in the 1940s by a Chinese history professor called Homer H. Dubbs, author of A Roman City in China. 
um, who attributed Roman links to the town's origin. Now we must first start with three Roman elites. Marcus Licinius Crassus, being the richest man in Rome at the time of this tale, uh, Gaius Julius Caesar, and Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus. Oh, what names. Magnificent names. Incredible names. Yeah, don't they just roll off the tongue, eh? Yeah, they do, yeah. Um, yeah, right, so these three men decided to start a war. Oh, lovely. Around 58 BC. Um, a war unauthorised by the Senate. Um, mm-hmm. So they were acting alone. Um, yeah. Cowboys. Crassus did that a lot, by the way. Uh, so the war was perhaps one of self-interest. Um, mm. The enemy were the Parthians, sworn enemies of, of Rome, who we've already mentioned. And they were really enjoying the fruits of trading along the Silk Road, uh, something Mr. Crassus wasn't too happy about. Which reeks of greed. Yeah, what else would it be? Um, so Crassus assembled an army of 50,000 men in the belief that he'd crushed the Parthians. Um, this, by the way, is the same Crassus who had crushed Spartacus's rebellion in 71 BC. Um, however, Crassus was extremely naive. Uh, his military leadership always questioned, mm-hmm. and he underestimated the Parthians' military skill and resources. Um, the resulting battle, the Battle of Karhe in modern Turkey, yeah. uh, witnessed a massacre and a humiliation for Rome. 20,000 Roman soldiers were slaughtered, including Crassus and his son. Um, some fifteen to 20,000 managed to escape, while 10,000 more were captured. And it's though, as these 10,000 men who would become known in the history books as the Lost Legion. Yeah, because you see, the ultimate destiny, or the ultimate destiny of the prisoners of war remains a mystery. And it is with intrigue that some believe that their story concluded in the sands of northwestern China. Now, after being captured, the widely held view is that the 10,000 men became a mercenary army and either offered their services or were sent out to protect the eastern border of the Parthian Empire, which is now modern-day Turkmenistan, um, protecting it against invasions. And it was there that they were captured again, yeah? Yeah, killed or captured, uh, this time by the Xiongnu. Um, the Xiongnu, they'll keep popping up again in Chinese history if you if you care. Um the Xiongnu were in dispute with the Parthians over territory and region. The Xiongnu were a powerful confederation of nomadic tribes, collectively known as the Huns. Yeah, the Huns. Um, of hung- Hungary fame. Um, and their, spear, their sphere of influence, it stretched across Mongolia, Manchuria, southern Siberia, and parts of what are today the Chinese provinces of Xinjiang and Gansu, um, and eventually all the way into Rome itself. And those Romans who were captured were then enlisted into the ranks of the Hun army. And it's it's here that Dubbs's theory takes off. Yeah, because he maintains that the Lost Legion reappeared 20 years later, uh, around the year 36 BC. Yeah. Um, at the Battle of Jiji, which is in modern-day Uzbekistan. 
um, a battle between the Chinese and the Xiongnu in modern-day Gansu. Um, Chinese records speak of strange soldiers, veterans who fought perfectly and organised themselves into a fish-scale formation, which Dubs believes is a reference to the Testudo, or tortoise, battle formation, typical of Roman legions. Um, the Testudo was a military tactic of tightly squared units utilising shields for defence. It was highly effective, but didn't prevail on this occasion. Um, Dubs asserts that the legionnaires were once again captured following the loss to the Chinese, and 145 of them relocated to a place in the desert where they decided to establish the town of Lichian. Um, Lichian may have been used as, as a vital, if isolated, defensive outpost along the northern frontier to help protect the Chinese against Tibetan raids. Yeah, so let's talk now about Lichian or... Before we get on to looking at the evidence for and against the theory, the romanticism of Li Chen is as the final post for a lost band of Roman soldiers. Um, so let's let's clear one thing up first up. Li Chen doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's now called Jilai Jai, which uh, was visited in the 1980s by an Australian writer called David Harris. And he became enthralled by the story of the Lost Legion and the Lost Legion's proposed association with Li Chen in China. So much so that he, he moved to Gansu. He became an English instructor at the Lanzhou University. Yes, I know it. Um, I know some expat teachers who work there too. Yeah. Now, Harris, he believed that the story had its roots in a good source. And he pursued his passion whenever he wasn't in the classroom. And soon he teamed up with Guan Yi Chuan. Um, now, Guan Yi Chuan, he's a Chinese history professor, also interested in Li Qian. Um, and both men were adamant of the presence of Roman soldiers in the lands controlled by the Huns. <clears throat> yeah, the pair had to first figure out where Li Qian was. And from their estimations, they figured that it must be somewhere in the area around Jilai Jai, about a five-hour drive northwest of Lanzhou, um, Gansu's provincial capital. In 1989, they drove out there, stumbling upon ancient walls and other remnants that had been constructed with rough stone, stones consistent with uh, hand-dynasty building. Um, evidence that a city existed around the time Li Qian was recorded in the land register uh, something of which we'll get onto a little bit later. Okay, so let's return now to um, the man who came up with the theory, who is Homer Dubbs. Now, his theory is based largely on the physical characteristics of the inhabitants of this small town. Without doubt, the most compelling evidence that exists. We're talking here about people with blonde hair, curly brown hair, blue eyes, green eyes and pointy noses all being Caucasian characteristics and not classic Chinese. The belief is that the remaining Roman legionnaires intermarried with the locals and then finally died out. Many of those living in Jilai Jai today are said to be Roman descendants. Now, Chinese archaeologists tried to back up Dubs' theory after finding around a hundred skeletons, many of which had heights greater than 1 meter 80 
was about six foot tall, um, dating to over 2,000 years ago. But more recent genetic studies has seemed to rule out this Roman hypothesis. It, it's also not unusual that Caucasian physical characteristics appear in the population of the region. As the Silk Road, it saw frequent interracial marriages, even long before the Roman and Han empires, as indicated by the Taran mummies. Other arguments against the theory highlight a 2005 DNA analysis of residents, which showed that they were closer in genetics to the Uyghurs of Xinjiang than the Southern Europeans. Similarly, in 2007, a study investigated the paternal lineage DNA, concluding that the people of Jilajai are not descendants of Romans, but are similar genetically to Han Chinese with a hint of Mongolia, even if many of the locals in the town have really bought into the idea that they originate from the lost Roman legion. So what about Li Qian, the place name? Dubs believe that the name Li Qian could be the transliteration in Chinese of Ligio, meaning, you guessed it, legion. What's more, Li Qian was precisely the name that the Chinese used in this era to designate the unknown Romans who bought many of their luxury products, such as silk, which we've mentioned. Um, Two other significant pieces of evidence show that Li Qian appeared in a government land register uh, of about 5 AD. Um, And only two other Chinese cities in the official roles, Kucha and Wenxiao, bore the names of uh, foreign establishments due to the immigrants who lived there. And according to Fan Ye's 5th century Ho Hen Shu, Li Qian was what the Chinese called the Roman Empire. Yeah, and archaeological digs in Jilajai, uh, they've also unearthed some interesting finds. One particular excavation there uncovered, it was a trunk with stakes, which only Romans commonly used to build fortifications, as well as um, tree trunk lined streets, which is also a common Roman practice. And additionally, Roman coins and some pottery was discovered. But best of all was a Roman-style helmet inscribed with the Chinese characters Zhao An, meaning one of the surrendered. Mm, Interesting. So where does the mystery stand today? In 1989, an Australian team of scientists applied to the Chinese government for permission to take aerial photographs and satellite images to determine if any runes lay beneath the village. But they were denied due to political events in the country that same year. Since then, interest has cooled on both fronts, foreign and Chinese. Uh, Guan Yichuan, who travelled and worked alongside David Harris on the theory, died in 1998. His son, Guan Hang, uh, has so far failed to publish a book full of his father's work, much to his dismay. Um, As for Harris, he admitted, of course, to only having circumstantial evidence uh, being available, but he remains determined to prove the mystery and inspire further research. Yet, he concedes that a comprehensive argument, much like Rome, cannot be built in a day. (laughs) Very good, very good. Um, Yeah, 
And there are some too who point out that supporters of the theory have more evidence than the critics. So there is plenty to work on. Should they ever get it going again? Well, the last mention of Li Tran came in 746 AD when the city was overrun by the Tibetans. The town of Jilai Jai has been doing its bit to keep the legend afloat in the form of tourism. The mystery surrounding the areas has created economic development and local officials say they would welcome a full-scale archaeological excavation of the area and have promoted the legend of the Lost Legion by erecting a Roman pavilion and statues of Roman men and women in the town. Unfortunately, though, you won't be taking any trips to Gansu very soon. This is Because it's pretty much closed down. Um, pretty much close down. Lanjo is is not it's not a, uh, yeah. lo- a, a, as a lockdown of the same severity as Shanghai, but um, a lot of places are closed. Schools are closed. That kind of thing. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, that is one hell of a conspiracy theory. It is, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. And why aren't all conspiracy theories like that? Like there were Romans in in China, like. Somebody, there, there's obviously some sort of it, it thread has, of truth to it. You know what I mean? It has the makings of a a great a great film, doesn't it? Mm. You know the Romans in China. Like you'd you get Miramax to make that. They'd they'd you make billions, billions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as I was saying, like you know, we, you can't go to Gansu. Gansu is off limits Gansu right now. Limits, yeah. um, but some other places are opened. Yeah. Some other places, some places close to us. Yeah. And in our last podcast, we were talking about Gaelic games. Yeah. In in China, uh, we were telling you about how the Gaelic was coming to us here in yeah. Chongqing, and it happened. Yeah, it did. And it happened. Um, those guys from Chengdu, they yeah. arrived. Um, they arrived on the Saturday. Yeah. And we had a, we had a couple of games of of Gaelic and and tag rugby as well. Yeah, that was a good crack. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and great to see the locals getting in on it as well. Great to see the locals. Um, yeah, people of all nationalities are there. Um, many, the majority, I would say, new to the game. Yeah. Brand yeah. new to the game. And they enjoyed it. They they took to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Benedict, one of, one of the lads there um, that, that plays soccer with us, um, he, actually, he, he actually played in... Chengdu with Mark Dolan, the guy who organised the whole thing. Um, he c- couldn't make it to the game, but uh, uh, like it was great to see a little bit of Irish culture dropped into the the middle of a rainy day, a rainy Saturday. In afternoon. such a such a huge huge city. In such a huge huge city, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and there was a good there was a good good chunk of people there. There was a good chunk of people there, considering how bad that day was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a nice soft day, as we'd say in yeah, Ireland. Um, which means it was raining. Yes, raining, yeah. raining heavily. Uh, yeah. But we had a nice nice little AstroTurf pitch. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't muddy. It wasn't I muddy, I was thinking, yeah. I was looking outside, thinking, slashing rain, it's going to it be mucky, gonna, yeah. it's going to be mucky, I'm going to be cleaning my boots all night I had after this. Yeah, I had an idea that we'd be playing on, playing on muck. I was kind of looking forward to it. You know, but we played um, goals only. We didn't kick the points, um, and uh, 
the teams were mixed, so it wasn't really a Chongqing versus Chengdu. No, um, we just, they didn't have. Did they have enough? They 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 couldn't get enough um, to fail the full team. But like we yeah. made up the numbers, you know. Yeah. Well, like, we had a good turnout from Chongqing, oh, and I did, yeah. I didn't know if we would or not. Oh, we would have had way but more than that if the sun was out. Yeah, yeah. But word got around, and yeah. everyone did their bit. Everyone who promoted it. Yeah. So yeah. thanks to you guys. Um, yeah, exactly. Thanks to whoever said anything. Yeah, you cr- you created yeah. a, a fantastic day out for everyone and yeah, yeah. A nice atmosphere. And a, and an argument over whether I got a hat trick or whether Eric got a hat trick. Eric got a hat trick. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I I'm giving it to you. Yeah, and I'm giving it to you because I just want to know that you scored a hat trick with your bum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it it brushed off me. As it, it, you struck yeah. it, but it brushed off me on the way to yeah. goal. Was probably going in anyway. It was probably going in anyway. Um, no, I think it was well. Either ways, it was it was going somewhere. Um, which we are also doing on Saturday. Yeah, um, a couple of months ago. It's about a couple of months. It ago It is now. a couple of months ago. It might even be January yeah. when we were, when we when we last mentioned this. Yeah, um, we were promoting the uh, Chongqing Cyberwalk. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Um, and I can't remember for the life of me if we told you it wasn't going to happen um, but it was postponed uh, and it's been rescheduled uh, it's going to be on this Saturday this mm. Saturday April 9th uh, 7 o'clock till late um, now the guys at the, the Gulashan um, pet shelter pet shelter yeah. Um, yeah they've had recently their rent uh, has been increased massively, sub, yeah, substantially massively. by by twenty thousands UN. Yeah, um, you know, in euros and dollars, that's about two and a half thousand quid. Yeah, so it's a lot. Um, so they're yeah, they're they're trying to raise a bit of money and, um, which is probably rushed. Um, yeah, the um bringing bringing the cyberwalk back. Uh, but yeah, um, if you are interested, if you're in Chongqing. Um, please sign up by tomorrow, 5 p.m. That's yeah. the deadline. Uh, it's 200 RMB per person. That includes uh, your Cyberwalk registration, um, yeah. some accessories, handmade accessories, yeah. uh, a couple of drinks afterwards in uh, the dungeon bar. Cool bar. Yeah, very cool bar, which will include a DJ set yeah. by Mr. Uh, Bad Monkey. Cool DJ. <laughs> yeah. Um, you'll get a finisher's medal. Um, cool medal. A very cool medal, very nice medal. Everyone loves a medal. Everyone loves a medal. Everyone loves getting the medal. Um, and yeah, you, oh yeah, uh, photography, uh, digital photography files from yeah. the day. Yeah, you'll get sent the photos from <clears> the day. And um, there's a prize as well. There's a prize as well for the most cyberpunky dressed person. Prize for the the the, the most cyberpunky dressed person, as you yeah, can say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a prize for the team. Who finishes yeah. with the most points? Yeah. So they're they're doing um they're going from point to point. They're trying yeah. to find a way around the city, uh, and it's a bit of a game. In, yeah. In a way, um. So yeah, if you're going, you know, you're going to meet up at a starting point, yeah. um. But you must uh, yeah. register to the WeChat group. Yeah. Their WeChat group. Um, if you're listening and you're in Chongqing and you're part of our China podcast group, yeah. I'm going to uh put in that drop in that new poster, the updated poster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right after we record, yeah, and you'll see it there. Um, you'll see it momentarily. 
So if you're going tomorrow, yeah, have a have a our Saturday, sorry, Saturday, Saturday, yeah. sorry. It's Thursday as we're recording now, but I'm forgetting yeah. myself. Um, if you go Saturday, yeah, have some fun. And I have I, some fun. Have a good time. I might, I might be able to do it myself because of uh, a new policy with uh, getting the train, so I I won't be able to get a, a COVID test in time, which means you can't. Which get means the I train. can't get the train. So I'll probably do the I'll do the walk instead. Do it, yeah. Bit of a result. Yeah, yeah. It's good for you. You'll get exactly. fish. You'll get stretch the healthy. legs. Stretch, stretch the legs the in legs, the evening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so good look at that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, right. Um, we're gonna call it a day. Wrap it up there. Um, yeah, do the usual. Subscribe and follow us. Uh, we've yeah. got a, we've got a hundred and two followers on Twitter now. Oh, we're delighted with that. We're delighted with that. I yeah. haven't even followed us on Twitter. You're not on Twitter. That's the problem. This is true. Yeah. Um, I might join Twitter just to make it 103 just to make it 103 yeah. uh, but we're growing we're growing we're slowly, growing but, slowly surely. but surely yeah. slowly but surely we're about 60 a month ago yeah um, Twitter is a hard place to to kind of grow ah, once you your get support once you, once you get traction you get traction but sure we'll, we'll get there eventually that is true um, yeah. so yeah thank you for listening and we'll chat to you next week hopefully toodles Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>